Welcome to another episode of Only the Brave. I'm your host, Jasbeh, and this week's guest is Nicola Rida. She's a co-founder of 12th Man Solutions, a B2B marketing communication strategy company, which helps exhibitors and event organizers drive a better return on investment from effectively planning, implementing, and executing live events and trade shows. Her book, The Exhibitionist Inspiring Trade Show, Excellence is releasing 19th May 2019, and she's a host of the podcast The Exhibitionist. Let's welcome Nicola. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? Yes, I'm good. I'm good, thank you. It's um, it's just going to be me if that's okay to do. The- of course, of course, Sorry. no problem at all. So that means I get to ask, uh, I get to ask more questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I see you love dark chocolate. I love dark chocolate. Yeah. What's, what's your favorite dark chocolate? Do you know, I would probably go up to sort of 90%, something like that. They're really, really bitter type chocolate. So um, I'm not an expert. I still buy like supermarket brands, but I'm not a Cadbury Bourneville either. So I would go and buy some of their lint dark chocolate if I was in there. I, uh, I, I normally buy lint 90%. And uh, recently I went to get the other one. Uh, the black one is called Monu- Monuments. Uh, oh, Mont- right. Montezuma, sorry, that's the one, ah, Montezuma, okay. which is 100% dark chocolate. And I'm on this keto diet, which is fat diet. And I didn't realize, I thought I'm hungry, I didn't have anything else. I said, you know what, it's keto diet, it's fat, I'm going to eat half the whole slab. I have the whole slab, and oh my God, the my- I had migraine for three yeah. days. And then I Googled, what the hell, what's going on? And then I find out that it has something called Tyrene or Tyrone, something along those lines. And that gives you migraine. Wow. That's why coffee gives you migraine as well. Yeah. I mean, I think I tend to have just um, this, like quite small bars in the cupboard. And if I've been for a, a run, it's supposed to be quite good after you've been running to just give you back some of the vitamins and things that you need after you've minerals you've, when you've done that. But yeah, it's like a piece at a time, but a whole bar. Wow. It's <laughs> <laughs> one of those days, right? You, you have to have it. Yeah. Yeah. When it's been one of those days and you just think grab the nearest thing you can find. Awesome. So let's let's talk about your uh, your your journey, really. So what do you what do you do, and and how do you help people, and uh, what's your what's your business about? So our business is um, all about helping exhibitors and event organisers to generate better returns from their investment in live events. So if you're an event organiser, it's about helping ensure that those exhibitors are getting everything they need from your show, that the right visitors are coming through the door, and exhibitors are, are meeting their objectives. And for working with exhibitors, it's about they invest so much time and money and effort into trade shows. It's a huge drain on resource. And quite often they can leave at the end of three days thinking, that was just a waste of time. We didn't get anything. This is a rubbish show. And we help them to understand how they can plan, implement and evaluate their events better to generate a a stronger ROI to actually get a return for some people. Right. And is it generally for uh, especially exhibitions, would you say it's more better suited to companies, large companies, small companies, or, or, or someone who's just starting off should be, could see the same benefits? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And I think anybody can benefit. It's just the scale of what you're able to do from the advice we give will be different. So um, we do work with very large organizations that are spending 100, 200,000 pounds on exhibitions, um, and they might have 30 sales staff going to that. So for us to spend an afternoon with their sales teams, just training them on kind of understanding what their different characteristics are, how they can help support each other, 
what their objectives are and how they can get better returns. That's the right format for them to get the best out of our services. If you're a small startup company, then you're not going to have £100,000. You might have, it might be £1,000, but we can still help you understand how do you not save money? We, we absolutely don't try and help people save money, but how you can use that money more effectively, how you can use social media in a really creative way to get to the contacts you want to speak to and make sure they come into your stand. So I think everybody can benefit in some way. Everybody can do exhibitions better. What you're able to do will depend on the size of your business. Sure. How much of a role do you think um, social media plays in, in getting your kind of clientele to exhibition? I mean, back in the day, exhibitions were primarily one of the main ways of getting everybody together in one place. And I'm guessing social media has taken a lot of that out, really. You won't see a lot of younger generation there now, new, young new businesses, as much as established and old businesses. So how much do you think that's changed with social media coming in? It's a really interesting dynamic to see what's happening in the exhibitions industry because there is actually a case for a lot of millennials and and younger people who are starting to go back to -to face-to-face interactions. They're wanting to move away from everything being behind a screen and wanting to just have deeper relationships with people. So we are seeing a younger audience coming into exhibitions most definitely. And social media has given all businesses a different channel to talk to their customers and talk to consumers through, which is fantastic. And quite often it's free. So for those small startup businesses, it's a great way for talking to your customers. I think the difficulties come when any business sees it as social media or live events and they're in competition. And we would definitely always say there's no competition. They are all tactics that should be part of a really well thought through aligned marketing plan. So if you're doing a trade show... You can use social media really effectively to amplify what you're doing, to talk to customers beforehand, to be part of the the conversation. If you're doing social media, then trade shows give you great content to talk about. So actually, as part of a totally aligned plan, they work brilliantly together when they're in competition with each other and you've got somebody who's running trade shows and somebody who's running social media. That's where you just see a real lack of consistency and you don't get the benefit. So, So I think that the younger... The younger people in, in business at the moment can absolutely show some of us who've been around a little bit longer how we can be more clever with social media. Um, but they're starting to come back to exhibitions and looking for those face-to-face relationships as well. So would you say it's suited to certain business type of businesses and not the others? How, and how does it differ from, how does it differ for a product-based business or service-based business? I, I think if any business understands their proposition and understands what problem they solve for their customers they can have success at a trade show. And when we're dealing with clients and talking to exhibitors, we always say you need to really flip the conversation and think not about what what your product is and what the features are, but about how you solve a problem because people go to trade shows looking for solutions. So they either want to make their business more effective, more efficient. They want to grow their business. They want to reduce cost in their business. So they're looking for a solution to, to something. There are some sectors that definitely play a little bit more strongly to trade shows. So those events where you have got products where you can, for food and drink, for example, where you can just hand out samples, it's an amazing theatre to try a new flavour or to try a new blend. And I mean, you can get so fat walking around those trade shows. <laughs> everybody just hands you food. So that's quite, quite an easy way to create some engagement and for, for people to, to really enjoy and feel part of a show. I think if you're a services business and maybe if you're just you know, accountancy or law, and please all the accountancy and legal firms out there, don't shoot me, but 
you know, there's there's a case that it's more difficult to talk about what you offer as a USP and what you offer differently to your competitors. But equally, as soon as you say, I'm, I'm an accountant, somebody understands that straight away. They know what your business is. They know what, what you're offering. So I think any business can be successful. There are some sectors and markets where it's easier to bring it to life and, and be creative and be engaging than it is for, for some kind of fairly traditional service businesses. Yeah. I mean, that's very interesting. You said about food and, uh, food and drink industry. Anybody going to that ex- exhibition, most likely it's, it's, it's a day out for them. Uh, you know, if, if they're going for that purpose uh, and probably they won't want to stop at a store which says accountancy or, or, or one, of, one, of, one of those kind of professions. And so how did your journey begin? How did you get into your business and exhibitions and, and marketing side of the things? So my journey um, started about 20 years ago after I'd graduated and has been fairly corporate ever since. So I'd been with um, big international organizations in various sales and marketing roles, for example, um, Asda and, uh, and Mars, and worked for a, an international brewer um, more recently. And I'd always worked in trade shows as part of those roles and just loved the environment. So people kind of call me a little bit geeky because I love the trade show floor, but I just think it's amazing when you get out there and see what exhibitors are doing and seeing what they, they do with their graphics and how they're bringing their, their products to life. So decided to set up my company in, in partnership with my husband uh, just over six years ago now. And it was a general marketing consultancy offering PR and communication support, video, um, research, all the kind of classic PR services, really, and live events as part of that. And we were starting to do more and more with, uh, with them, getting more excited, building up our expertise all the time and just thought, don't we're going to spin this out as a completely separate division. And um, so we still do some of the traditional marketing support. It, it goes hand in hand with exhibitors. They still need press, uh, media relations. They still need copywriting doing. So we'll still do offer those services. But really, we're focusing now on, on exhibitions because we work with event organizers for a number of years. And we just got really frustrated by hearing exhibitors who kept saying that was a waste of time. That was a rubbish show. And we just thought there's, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way to help people get more value for money out of all this investment. Right. So, and, and did you both leave your jobs at the same time and jump into this business or was it a gradual process? So my husband had, um, had a variety of jobs. He'd worked in the energy sector, he'd worked in the police and latterly worked in the charity sector, helping uh, adults with learning disabilities and absolutely loved that, that area and, and the fulfillment from, from that job and helping people and solving problems. But it being a charity, that comes with its um, difficulties in terms of financing. And uh, Steve took redundancy to free up some money for additional staff elsewhere in in the service and um, helped out in a number of support roles then for um, suppliers into the brewery I was working for, um, doing trade shows and events and and various things. And and he set up the business 12th Man Solutions as kind of that extra pair of hands, really, when you know a job needs doing, you don't really know where to put it in your organisation. So let's just bring in the 12th man, um, the sporting analogy, and, and sub him in for the time that, that we need something. So he was already running that business and, and had been for about three years when I then became free to look for other options and thought, do you know what, actually, with the skills I've got, they align pretty well with the skills you've got. Let's just give it a go and, and see where we get to. And, and hence the birth of 12th Man Solutions. Wow. Okay. And, and a lot of the times they say, you know, don't get into business with your family or especially <laughs> if you're partners. And so how does that work? I know you're both into your, uh, your music and, and that's, that's the key thing you have in common. 
but working with each other every single day. So someone that wants to start a business, wants to get in, in business with their family or their spouse, and you know, you spend all day together and then you, know, you have the family life as well. How does that affect and how do you work? It's something we get asked all the time. And um, if people ever see us apart, sometimes you kind of get that questioning look of, where's the other one? You know, I can't believe you two are, two are actually alone. You're not joined at the hip. Um, but we, uh, we do manage it. And I think the things that we've learned are we have the same vision of where we want to go. So we really understand what the proposition of our business is and what the values of our business are. So we know that we want to offer great service. We know we want to work with interesting clients that are meaningful to us that have the same values as us. So for example, we wouldn't work with a a tobacco company for reasons that are personal to us. Um, And that's our choice. And we kind of have some of those same same values and and that's just right for us as an organization. So we know what our values are. We also know what we're working towards. So we know the kind of business that that we want. We know how big we want to be. Um, We know what we're doing this for. So we've kind of got a lot of that in common. Um, The bit where we're very different is we understand our, our skills and our responsibilities. So I'm not great with numbers. Steve trained to be an accountant at one point, so it's obvious that he should be our finance <laughs> He does that brilliantly. He knows every single penny that we've got in the bank account. I know how to spend it. He knows how to save it. Um, there are things around kind of copywriting and um, slide decks that need writing and those kind of things. And there's certain tasks within the job that, and even kind of networking and um, meeting new clients that are more natural for me to work on. So I, I do a lot of that. And Steve's brilliant at the social media side of our business. So linking in and finding new contacts and exploring conversations online through LinkedIn and getting our name um, and exposure and value known in, in the right groups in the right places. He's brilliant. So I never give that a second thought. So I think it's separating out and knowing what you're, you're really good at and knowing what your separate tasks are. And we work in our back garden. So, you know, we built our office in the back garden. It's a 30 second commute to work every morning, which is brilliant. <laughs> but there's no door to the house. We have to go out of the office to get into the house, which is, I think, was a big thing for us. And we'll sit at desks that are a a metre apart with our headphones on, listening to our music, getting on with our work, and we might not speak all morning. So we'll have a bit of lunch and we'll go for a walk for an hour at lunchtime and just catch up on what have you been doing today, what are you struggling with, what can I help you with, and and get that headspace. So we argue like you would with any work colleague. We disagree about things, but you've got your best buddy with you the whole time. So anything that comes up, you can tackle together because your best mate's doing it with you. So it makes it a whole lot easier. And then what do you do when you have a major disagreements? So how does that go when, you, when you're home now and you've had a major disagreement? Do you take that with you or do you say that, that's it? You don't talk about that? If it's a work disagreement, we always bring it back to what is it that we're trying to achieve for the client? So what do we think the client wants out of this work or what are we trying to achieve as a business and take it back to that values and back to the vision of where we're going. Um, right. So we'll try and try and get through it that way. There are some things we'll never agree on and somebody has to concede somewhere and one of us will at one point when it's just like, actually, do you know what? I think we've just got to go, we've just got to make a decision and go with an opinion. So let's go with that one. So, and there are times when it's like, actually, I just, I need to get out for a while. So, you know, we've, We've disagreed on that, as you would at work. It's like, I just need to take myself off and I'll go listen to a, a bit of music. Steve will go listen to a bit of music. I'll go for a run. Steve will go hammer out some furniture in the garage because he does um, some amazing furniture renovation as well. Um, and we'll come back 10 minutes later and it's forgotten about and you get back to the important stuff, which is making our clients happy and doing the, the work we enjoy. So it's, I guess in some ways you probably know, you probably understand your husband better than you might a work colleague. So 
in some ways you you maybe know where their objection and their challenge is coming from in a way that you might not with somebody you just work with. Do, do you really think it's uh, in any scenario, especially you know if it's a it's a small business and you have a male and a female, it's a different perspective, it's a different energy. Do you think how 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 much of a role does that play? Is that important? Is that not important? What's your view on that? Gosh, that's an interesting question. I, I definitely think males and females bring a different dynamic to a situation um, and to any working situation. I worked in a hugely male-dominated environment uh, and, and thrived on it. I, I enjoyed you know, what other situations that other people might have found a little bit more challenging because I, I quite liked the banter. I quite liked the fact that it was influencing people with very strong characters. So I think the male and female agenda can, can, can bring different perspectives. Um, anybody who knows me will know I'm not a huge fan at all of female networking and female awards. I, I'm very much about <laughs> let's celebrate people for being good at what they do and let's encourage people to be the best that they can be and you know, let's make sure everybody has an opportunity so I, I can understand and empathise that people have had it, females have had it a lot tougher than me, but I just think people are people and let's just treat them as people and maybe take gender out of it. And at what point for you, especially, uh, you, th- you said, I've had enough of corporate, now I need to go. I think it was always in the plan for me that, um, you know, I'd done corporate, which I am hugely grateful for. I, I learned some fantastic lessons. I met some amazing people, got to work on some brilliant brands, um, thoroughly enjoyed my time. But I think it was always for me and Steve, actually, that in the long term, we probably wanted to do something smaller and, and understand kind of what the world of entrepreneurship was all about. So when the opportunity arose, it kind of seemed like a little bit of a no-brainer. It's either dive back into that for another 10, 15 years and then see where I get to, or I, I just try and we give it a go and we see where we get to. And all those skills that I'd built up, I always had. So if the entrepreneurship didn't work, I was reasonably confident somebody would probably hopefully give me a job. So it just felt fairly natural to give it a go. I, I feel really lucky that actually I got that chance to, to do it because I know some people never quite had the courage or the opportunity or the support to do it. Awesome. And uh, let's, talk, let's talk about your book. Uh, <laughs> how did that come about? We were working at a, an event about 12 months ago and um, we're talking, as I tend to do very passionately about trade shows, about what an amazing vehicle they are and how exciting it is you know, when you get it right at a trade show. And somebody who'd just written a book said, Do you know what, you should write a book on this, um, on this subject. It's, there's not enough material out there and you're obviously really passionate about it. And put me in touch with a publisher, Practical Inspirations Publishing, who have um, helped us all the way. They've been fantastic. So they're a hybrid publisher, which works for us because the content of the book, The Exhibitionist, is um, the content of all our workshops and training. So had we gone down a traditional publishing route, we would have had to sign over all the rights to our workshop. So that didn't really work for us. So the hybrid position in, in the middle where they've supported us, we've invested a little bit, just kind of seemed like a, a great model. We've had fantastic support. And yeah, it is currently this week at London Book Fair, even though it wasn't even, we hadn't even started writing it 12 months ago. So it's all quite exciting. Wow, awesome. So you jumping into business and then writing your book, What's going, these are big jumps. These are not easy jumps. And everybody dreams of, you know, at some point, you know, one day I'm going to start a business. One day I'm going to leave my corporate job. For most people, that never happens. It's always, I've got wife, I've got kids, I've got responsibilities, I've got husband or whatever that might be. And then the next big jump is 
one day I'm going to write a book. Once you, once you make that first step of starting a business, I have ideas, I'm going to put them down. So in, in both these scenarios, what's going through your head? What's, is, it, is it fear? Is it doubt? Is it, okay, I'm going to make it? What is it for you? All of the above. So yeah, okay. um, <laughs> huge amounts of, of doubt and fear and um, anxiety about can, can we do this? And certainly in our business, you know, it involves us both. So we, we haven't got somebody in a very secure long-term employment who's earning a really good salary. If our business fails, then we both fail. So it's kind of double the risk almost, but it's double the excitement and double the reward if it, if it works. So, so yes, lots of fear, lots of anxiety. Um, we took a lot of reassurance from clients who just gave us good feedback to say, you guys do know what you're, you're talking about. You are good at this. Um, people do value your opinion. And the more people we spoke to about I'm thinking of writing a book about how to be better at exhibitions, but we want it to be really simple and really practical. Everyone kind of just said, yep, I'd, I'd buy that. I'd absolutely buy that. So the writing of it was the easy bit. I do quite a lot of writing for, for the day job, so that wasn't difficult. The bit when you've handed it over and it's starting to become a, a book and you just sort of think, what if it's a load of rubbish? What, why would anybody believe me? Why, why have I got anything to say about this subject? And this imposter syndrome for entrepreneurs is kind of can be the, the most awful feeling that just keeps you awake night after night. And I think all we did was just seek reassurance in people who aren't just being polite for the sake of it, but people whose opinions you really trust and who tell you where you can be better and but that you have got value and you you can add value to your clients. So they are big jumps, but if you don't take big jumps, you don't get big rewards. So you've just got to go for it, take some calculated risk and, and hope for the best. And, and you know, and that's I think that's what we did. Awesome. I believe you have another book in the works as well. Well, I've got an idea for a book. Whether Steve will let me take more time off to go and write again for two or three months, I'm not sure. But um, but yeah, my my family have a have a family business as well, and we've got my my mum who's looking to transition out of the business, my brother who's looking to take it over, and it's just a really really tough time for family businesses to understand how do you make that happen, how do you make it fair. So I think it it would be really interesting to do some research around kind of how other family businesses have done it and is there any practical advice because there's a lot of corporate advice for very big companies but if you're a small kind of you know maybe under 20 people enterprise and but you own property and you you know you've got a reputation with the businesses it's really hard to understand what to do for the best so so I've sneakily got my idea on the next book but um, it might be a little way off yet. So, so what, what are the like three or four key lessons you've learned along the way from you know let's go day one you know, from you starting a corporate job to, you know, even that's for a lot of people, it's a big step, you know, think planning out someone leaving university or college or dropping out of school and going, right, I'm going to do something. And, and we are taught to, you know, get a job, work your ass off, save money, get pension and pay off your mortgage and that kind of thing. What was your key lessons along the way? So I think one of the first things is just having a really clear vision about what you're doing it for. So for us, We've got ideas about maybe having a place abroad in years to come. We, that's what we'd really like. And that's kind of the really long-term vision. So it's kind of having that, if I'm to do this, what am I doing it for? Why am I giving all of this up? Why is my life going to be better? And to have that. And every time it gets tough, just go back to that point of this is why I'm doing it. Don't undersell yourself in the early days. So I know the first few pieces of work we did were, were massively undervalued. Um, and we just, we, we now know what we're worth in the market. But, but at the beginning, we just thought, who on earth is going to pay for this? So ended up not charging very much for work that we should have charged an awful lot more for. So just really be clear about your value and your expertise and, and make sure you understand your proposition and why you're different right from, from day one. 
tap into as much resource as you can and support in your local business community. So whether that's through government organisations, through people like the Department for International Trade have been amazing in helping us look at how we start to export, um, local business clubs. You'll find three or four people that you just really click with and actually just lean on them as much as you need to and, and cry when you need to cry with them and celebrate with them when you need to celebrate with them and and never be scared to just kind of say, you know, I'm, I'm finding this really tough at the moment and I, I don't know if I can keep going. And, and they're the people that, that will keep you going um, and you need that support and they've probably been there as well. And I think having a plan, the bit that we've never quite nailed is, is a really clear business plan. So we're quite mm-hmm. ad hoc sometimes in our approach to things because we're busy doing the job and it's that entrepreneur's nightmare of how do you balance your time between time spent on the job and in the job. You know, and you've got to get work out for clients, but if you do too much of that and you take your eye off the ball of your pipeline, then you get to the end of that work and you find that you've got nothing and you spend all your time prospecting, but that's not bringing money in. And so I think it's kind of been really clear about where is your business going to come from? How are you going to prospect? Being aware that conversion takes a long time. So, you know, if you know you've got a six to 12 month conversion with a client, you've just constantly got to be adding people, new new prospects in at the top, you know, knowing that that revenue could come in in 12 months. So. I think that was four things, but it's, it's a few things I learned anyway. I mean, you, you were very, uh, very lucky in the sense that you found Steve to, uh, you know, partner up with and, and work. And in your view, if you're looking for someone to partner up with or, 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 you know, come on board, what kind of qualities, what kind of personalities, what would you look for? So I think, I think collaboration is amazing. One of the things I have been so impressed by in the small business community is the amount of collaboration Working in big corporates, it's very suspicious um, and competitive and you don't really talk to anybody outside of your organisation, so you get very tunnel vision. I think SMEs and small businesses have a fantastic opportunity to collaborate. So I think the most important thing is to collaborate with people who have your values. So if, you're, if you believe in the same things and you're, you believe in kind of the quality and how you want to work with clients and which clients you want to work with and what you stand for as an organisation... And if you're all in this, on the same page about that, then collaboration becomes much easier. I think it is good to have quite a, a balance. So I'm probably a little bit more of a risk taker than Steve is. So he, we balance each other out on, um, on that. He's um, definitely a late night worker. I'm definitely an early morning worker. So, but that works really well for us because I could write a couple of chapters, buy them over to him. He'd edit them overnight and then I'd go back and write in the morning. So it's, it's a really simple example of kind of just find a work pattern that, that works for you. And if you've got somebody who's happy to be the networker in the face of the company, that's great. If you've got two people who are wanting to be the face of the company, then it can sometimes get a little bit inconsistent and a little bit confused. So it's just understanding your roles, but you're going to spend a lot of time with them. So just people who you can, can get on with and who maybe who will stand up to you and who will challenge you because nobody's ever right all the time. And you, you need to have those people who can kind of say, actually, I think that's wrong. And I think we need to do something different, but have a, you know, an adult grown-up debate about it. Awesome. And what would you say uh, any regrets you have? Uh, not doing it sooner, most definitely. So we've been talking about our own business for five or six years. Um, so, yeah, absolutely not doing it sooner. And um, if anybody's thinking about it but is scared, then please ring me and I'm happy to talk to anybody <laughs> and say just just go for it. You know, if you've, if you've got a great idea and you've got the passion, then then go for it. I think... God, how many <laughs> loads of regrets. <laughs> I think some of the other ones are about spending too long over-servicing clients a lot of the time and just wanting it to be absolutely perfect all the time. So my, our standards are very high. And sometimes we, we give people more than they pay for. And we're probably quite well known for that. 
So I think it's about being really clear about when is good, good enough. And that's not to say you shouldn't do good work because you absolutely should do good work. But if you're doing great work that takes 10 hours, then charge the client 10 hours for it. If that's the quality that they want. I think not networking early enough. So we had a load of work coming in in the early days and we just worked and worked and worked on it and didn't get to know our, our, um, our local community. And actually, once we got out there and started networking with them, just found this huge amount of support and resources there to help us. I think don't get too hung up in, in funding and being worried about money because there is money out there. There's a lot of money to help businesses and there are ways of getting to it. So I think a lot of people just go, I can't because I haven't got the money. We'll just go and have the conversations about people because there is quite a lot of business support available. So, yeah, I think that's probably, I absolutely don't regret doing it. That's the main thing. You know, the one regret I haven't got is that we took this journey and, and tried to make it go. And whatever happens, it's, um, you know, it's been a fantastic journey. So, so, yeah, definitely don't regret that. Is there any, uh, any, any book or any person that's been very inspirational for you? Several. I think one of the most recent ones is, is Daniel Priestley, which probably everybody mentions. But um, yeah. I remember uh, listening to a, a podcast uh, just as we were thinking about what do we do with our book. And, and he was being interviewed and he talked about writing his book. And he said, oh, you know, I could put 50 people on the road at, or, or even 10 people at whatever cost that would be for a sales force. It would be quite high and, and the conversion would be quite low and it takes quite a long time to see people. Or I can write a book, buy a copy of my book for pound fifty and send it out to a thousand people and then they can see for themselves what my expertise is what I'm good at and actually the phone calls will probably start coming in and we've adapted exactly the same approach for our book that we can try and get around all the exhibitors and all the exhibition companies and and show them what we do or we can actually just send them a copy of the book and say this is what we do can we help you add some more value to your event so I think yeah it's the one that really stands out for for me sure so so basically the key thing is getting your ideas as quickly as possible on paper, you know, and, and, you know, if you have enough material, turn it into a book and that's, that can be your best business card, your, your best presentation. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the strategy for us was never about we're going to be millionaires from writing a book because we, we won't. The, the market isn't, isn't big enough for us to do that. But what it was about was um, building our reputation and being recognized for our expertise and what, where we can add value. Being a different voice, so just being quite practical. So um, if you think of the you know, the, the idiot's guide to type book, that, that's what our, it's very simple. It's very practical. It's ideas that people can, can do in any business. So it's been a slightly different voice out there at the moment. So it's using it as a marketing tool to generate leads, generate interest, establish our authority rather than becoming millionaires from writing a book. Awesome. And then finally, what's, what's big? What's, what's coming up? What's next for you? We are just about to enter our um, really, really busy period. So we've got a number of big trade shows on the cards at the moment. So we're currently um, running the live theatres for uh, food and drink shows down at Birmingham Birmingham in April and uh, the Fit Show, which is Windows, Doors and Conservatories, which is far more exciting than that might make it sound. Um, We're doing their live theatre in May. We're, I think, popping over to Houston for a week for OTC, which is the um, energy industry in May. Uh, And then we've got a week at the... Uh, Royal Bath and Western show so we've got lots and lots of events where we're working with clients and some more workshops for the Department for International Trade so just trying to oh and the book launch on the 16th of of May book launch into Amazon on the 16th of May so it's a fairly busy couple of couple of months for us coming up lots of training and uh, lots of new clients on board awesome any last words before we say goodbye no just um thank you so much for the opportunity we we do our own podcast and it's um it's quite strange being on the other side of the microphone and thinking, oh my God, how do guests 
figure out what they're going to say and not get tongue-tied. So it's, um, <laughs> it's a really interesting experience. So thank you so much for the opportunity. No worries. I wish you and, uh, and Steve the best of luck. And I know you're up to big stuff. So yeah, hopefully uh, we can do another one uh, at some time soon. Perfect. We will love to do that. So we'll, um, we'll look forward to that in the future. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Yes. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to turn your idea into a business and escape the corporate rat race, then check out my business accelerator program, which takes you from idea to making sales. Visit www.jazzbearaurora.com. And remember, only the brave have fun.